0: So we're, we're coming to the end of a year, and we're coming to the end of a teaching cycle. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, tomorrow we'll be begin to think seriously about uh, what kind of structure we're going to have for uh, the Thursday night discussions beginning in January. But right now, we're finishing up. We've gone through the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And uh, I don't know how many of you have been here for that whole process. Some of you have but some of you are, are obviously have not. And uh, we'll be going through all that same information again in different ways at, at different times. But I, I think what I'd like to, what I'd really like for us to discuss tonight is how, how these teachings uh, impact us in, uh, in our daily lives. What difference they're making to you in your life. There's really two, well, if, if we go according to the way the Eightfold Path is divided up, there's really three major parts to this one of course is meditation practice the formal practice training the mind cultivating certain mental skills uh, having inside experiences and uh, having uh, undergoing certain transformations in the way we, we think and, and feel and react to the world. That's one part, the meditation part. Another part is the understanding the Dharma, the intellectual understanding, putting all the pieces together, making sense of it, understanding how it works. And then the third part of it is applying it in our lives, uh, consciously, intentionally, mindfully, uh, to, to our behavior, to every aspect of our behavior, and, and at every level, at the level of uh, the thoughts and the feelings that we have, at the level of the things that we say and the way we use speech. And also at the level of what we do and the impacts of our actions on the world. And all three, of course, fuse together, combine together. Uh, Each of those three supports and empowers the other. And that's what I'd like for us to talk about now is is uh, and i think is an appropriate time kind of the end of the cycle is how is this all summing up for us in our lives so, I was wondering if anybody has any anything they'd like to say any, any reflections thoughts mm-hmm. questions ideas
1: It, it seemed like an insight when I had it, but it, it has dreamlike qualities in that it's very difficult to word. Um, but it seems like one of the gifts has been that who, who you are depends on how you look. It, 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 the, the manner after which you do the examination changes the nature of what you're going to observe. It really does. And um, so I, I, I spent a little bit of time trying to look at trait, at, 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 the, at the, long, the long sense of how a person is. Sometimes you describe someone, well, well he's always happy. He's, he's angry. He's uh, uh, uh. I spent some time looking at that, and the longer I studied the less that existed that if you're looking at experience you're seeing little little moments little micro moments and they're very sharply divided there's no trend there's no trait there's no duration it's just all these little moments so there's nothing there to, to say I'm, I am usually blah I am usually happy, sad, angry, whatever, that, that mm-hmm. trait, when, once I actually start looking at myself, I don't see it anywhere, and yet I have this sensation of being a kind of person, just the same as I have that illusory sensation of being a single self. Mm-hmm. So it's just strange <clears throat> that there is no tendency person once I
0: look. Okay, I think what you're saying, <clears throat> Yes. The, the, the way that we usually look at other people and look at ourselves is we say things like, well, that person's an angry person, that person is a kind and gentle person, and I am such and such a kind of person, and so forth.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and and those are really true statements. Because if you look at this same person over time, there there is... There is a strong tendency of a particular type in the way... But I think what you're saying is when you look inside you don't find an angry person. You find something much more subtle and complex than that which behaves angry over time. Yes. There's
1: there's no longitudinal kind of person. There's only all these experiences that, yes, they sum.
0: And would you agree that when you look at a person carefully, although you may see a lot of angry behavior, that if you look carefully, you also see a lot of gentle and kind behavior and all kinds of other different kinds of behaviors. So,
1: So how does it end up summing, how do we end up making these blunders? to to say that even even to ourselves, I'm a blah when Mm -hmm. we're really a summation of a lot of smaller things.
0: Well Uh, a good way to look at anything is in any way that something is, and especially when you're talking about in any any way that people in general behave or that a person behaves. Um, it happens because of causes and conditions. There's reasons for it. There's reasons why it happens that way. Now, if you say, human beings have a tendency to categorize others and to categorize themselves and hang a label on it and say, he is such and such and she is that and I am this, with these labels, so you ask the question, okay, why? And, and if you take, take the kind of perspective that they do um, in studying uh, uh, biology, why? So if an organism has certain characteristics, there's a reason. It's because it's work. And we do that because it worked. Because if we categorize this is an angry person, and this is a a nice person, then it causes us to spend more time with a nice person and stay away from the angry person. And that works, that works. As far as that goes, you know, the same thing, you know, uh, dogs sense that some people are not good for them to be around, and they don't like those people. And other people, they sense something very different. So it works in a very primitive, primitive, simplistic way. It works. But then we look at it, but, you know, there's another sense in which it doesn't work. You put people in little boxes and little categories and you blind yourself to all of their their good characteristics. And you form an idea of who you are and you become attached to that idea. And then you spend all your time in, in reaction to anything that either... Supports or opposes this image that you have of yourself.
1: All I had been trying to do was catch up to that image, yeah. um, because what I've observed is the minute I formulated, it, uh, it's out of date. Even even if it were right, just, just supposing it were right, it's out of date. And yeah. what I've been seeing is that. The assumptions I have made about myself are no longer correct, mm-hmm. if they ever were. And I can't catch
0: mm-hmm. today. Well, yes, because everything is constantly changing.
1: It's just, I hadn't ever, I, I before I met you, I used to be comfortable thinking I was some kind of person, but now that I'm looking, I'm not. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think anybody's one kind of person. I, I had strong hopes. <laughs> I think
0: you know.
2: I think everybody is lots of kinds of people.
0: That's yeah. right. Everybody is lots of kinds of people, right? Mm-hmm. But the, 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 let's, let's look at the same thing. With, how do you look at the world? One of the things that makes people of different kinds is some people look at the world as, as a, a, a harsh and dangerous place. And other people tend to look at the world as, as a beautiful place. There's many different ways of view, viewing the world. There's many different ways of viewing any particular situation. As a matter of fact, there's as many different ways of viewing the situation that we're in right now as there are people viewing it. Right. and there's actually more than that because if, if we were to, to plot these all and check again five minutes from now we find some of those had changed so what, what is reality not only who am I, you know, I I thought I was somebody identifiable and labelable and justifiable and defendable or chastisable and blamable but when I look, I'm not. And the same thing with the reality outside of me. You know, I I, I I think it's this way. Some days I think it's that way. How is it really? Do we ever really know? Does it matter? <laughs> All right, good question. What do you think? Does it matter? Mm-hmm. Not so much. Well, if you see the world in a way that makes you miserable, <coughs> Would it matter to know that that the world really isn't the way you see it? Well, yes. Okay, so it does matter. It does matter, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: I'd rather not, I'd rather shed this self, quote yeah. unquote, than be thinking about it a lot. I guess
0: that's where I'm at, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, yes, that's but what I'm talking about. about isn't the results of our thinking. It's the view that we have of things that instantaneously forms as a result of our experience in spite of quote unquote
2: ourselves the what
0: in spite of quote unquote ourselves in spite of ourselves and you know two different people say reality is like this and i know it's not reality is like ah." that does either one of them know what reality is Mm -hmm. no know. But it does matter. It does matter very much. It matters because we go along in the assumption that we know we know who we are and we know what reality is. And that gets us in a lot of trouble. I, I don't know. I'm at a stage where I really don't yeah. and, know. And that's, I, I think that's what uh, Chris was saying, that she's coming to that place of uh, uh, she doesn't know, and, and the place of not knowing, that is a really good place to be. Because the place of thinking that you know is, like, that's maximum delusion. I don't know over and over again. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Can you go back to cause and effect and bring that forward?
1: You said that's very important.
0: The, yes, yeah. you
1: can go back to Causing cause and effect. effect.
0: Cause and effect, yes. Well, I was using it in the context that you, if you say, why does somebody have a particular trait? They have a particular trait because it, it works or it has worked. or At least they believe it works. So, you know, if you, if you look at these traits that people have and they're not born with them, Well, they may be born with certain predispositions, but, you know, we know, and there's a lot of evidence to to support this, that, uh, you know, practical scientific evidence, that uh, two people with exactly the same genes, like identical twins in different circumstances, can develop very, very different uh, attitudes, and approaches so all you, all you really are born with is tendencies but if somebody, if you have a trait as an result it's a result of causes and conditions part of those causes uh, might be the tendencies that you're born with But another really important cause is what's happened to you and even more importantly what you have done or made out of what has happened to you and as a matter of fact as we know what happens next depends a whole lot on what we do or make out of what happened to us this is where causes and conditions come come into this You, you are the way you are right now causes and conditions. So, can
3: I ask a question? Maybe I, I missed it, but did you have a specific trait or something that that
1: was bothering you, or something that you wanted to be, or you not don't want to be? You no, know, I was just trying to find it. I had this assumption going in that I was some kind, and when I sat and and looked at the moment by moment experience, there was no moment that had it paired with it any kind of person so I didn't have one, and that startled me, thinking I was a kind of person, and there's no identifiable experience where I'm being that kind of person, whatever it is. No, there wasn't anything specific yet. I was hoping to, to catch up to myself and discover one.
0: But I, I think it's, it, it's safe to say that most of us do have some traits that we identify with strongly, uh, that we like. And we have some other traits that we believe are the way we are, that we don't like. And they're there just as long as you're not looking at them directly. <laughs> yes. Because there aren't really traits, they're just, what's happening? in the moment, as a result of what has previously happened.
1: Did the Buddha have any traits left after he became
3: (laughs)
0: awakened?
3: Actually, from what I understand, is that once you become enlightened, you get more eccentric and more yourself.
0: Well, that that, is interestingly enough, that's something that somebody actually did a study on. And and I've got the book, where the the chapter is, where they have reported that. They say that the, 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 as the higher levels of enlightenment the personality characteristics, there's certain personality characteristics that the person have that uh, actually become more pronounced and, and they begin to appear as personal eccentricities. But, uh, but back to your question. Do, do 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 enlightened beings have traits? What do you think? Yes, yes. yes. no, <laughs> not the Buddha. Yes. <laughs> not the Buddha. I don't know. I to me, if you look at the life of the Buddha and his teachings and his behavior, it looks to me like there's a lot of really strong traits there. But I think I, I think what you mean is there are traits but there's no person that has those traits and as a matter of fact that's here's here's one of those really good sayings for you to remember you know as you keep coming back to it and understanding it there is no such thing as an awakened person there is only awakened behavior no such thing as an enlightened person only enlightened behavior because, after all, really, ultimately, there's no such thing as a person. There's only behavior. Yes?
4: Um, so, I've, I've been sort of coming to the idea where um, I have been turning more compassionate toward. Self and um, realizing that if if it's if we're able to not identify with the ego, the ego, I mean, it seems like it has a place, a functional place, but absolutely, and that's really the trap. I think is hard coming as a beginner to the practice where you hear like we want to be egoless, and then. Mm -hmm. Rather than embodying this self-compassion to look at that side of us as being a very important and functional tool. I, we, I mean, I was like pushing it down and not letting myself be as full of a person maybe as what I start to realize now that I can see the ego as being a very functional. But it's, it's a hard, it's kind of a hard... Part of the study to understand where you have this thing where at once it's like has a tendency to wrap us inside of it But like how can how can we negotiate or Mm -hmm. what might you say about this this struggle to understand? Mm -hmm. How how we can look at it as a tool, but also not get
0: Yes That's very good. I'm glad to hear you say that and, and that you are realizing that because That's true, but, you know, the the problem, the ego serves a function, but the ego isn't what we think it is. And the problem is that we think the ego is something that isn't. We think the the ego is a self, the the ego self, and we identify with that. And it's really, it's the source of all our problems, it's the source of all our suffering, it's... uh, it's the number one problem, not the existence of this psychological function. There really exists something that we stick the label ego on. That's real, but it's not what it appears to be. It's not what we think it is. The ego is just a mental function that serves an extremely important purpose. You know, you've heard me say it before. I, I probably should think of a different way to put it. But if you didn't have an ego, you couldn't. Separate your longing from somebody else's, right? It serves a purpose. It serves that kind of purpose. You, you have to have an ego. The ego is not a bad thing. It's believing the ego is something that it isn't and letting the ego get out of control. And, you know, we have a lot of things we associate with the, well, you, you know, it's not that we don't want to have an ego. It's that we don't want to be controlled by our ego. We don't want to have a needy, unhealthy ego. That's what being egotistical means. All of these negative things we say about the ego, they're really about what happens when you mistake the ego for something else. And when when that particular mental function gets out of control and it starts driving the way you perceive reality, the way you perceive yourself, the way you behave, so it's it's the perception. There is a reality, though, and the idea to de- of destroying that reality. You know, and anybody who has uh, knows much about uh, psychology and and uh, uh, pathological psychological state. You know, somebody whose ego doesn't function very well is is in really bad shape. They're really they're really a mess. So, you know, we we would never want to destroy our ego or get get, uh, past our ego. What we want to do is is have it serve its necessary function. So all the things that that, you have an ego to do. uh, Your ego allows you to go out and do good things for other people in the world. Because it allows you to discern and discriminate between self and other in ways that allow you to act allows you to be a good person that's an ego that's not out of control you had no ego at all you couldn't tell who you were and who you weren't you wouldn't know what to do the interesting thing in all this you know you all all heard i think it. i think it originated with socrates but you know i'm too often wrong about these things, and the other authorities can bring you up to date. Know thyself. Okay? Know thyself. And th- this this is a really important instruction to know thyself. But we start off thinking, okay, if I just find out who I really <laughs> am, all of my problems will be solved. I'll know what to do. You know, if I just find out who I really am. But the instruction, know thyself. If you really do, know yourself. What you discover is, it's, not this, it's nothing at all like you thought it was. <laughs> That's what know thyself means. It means, get past this illusion. And what makes the illusion so dangerous is the notion of separateness is a whole idea of self only has meaning if there is some boundary that separates self from not self so what's bad is this idea of a boundary because one of the things it does is it makes us horribly alone And the other thing it does is it puts us in uh, a state of conflict with everything else, because we've got to do everything we can to protect and to protect and, and to uh, to serve the self, to make the self happy, to prevent damage to the self and everything else like that. But what we are are not separate entities. We, we are entities, we are entities, and it would be silly for somebody to say that we're not. Because you know, you know, somebody who had uh, a lot of charisma and the gift of the gab and everything might talk to you and make you feel like, like uh, you know, that uh, um, I, I, I really don't exist as this, uh, uh, in the sense that I, I think that I do, but the truth is you don't exist as the separate self you think you do, but you still have an individuality, but it's an individuality that comes from inclusiveness and not exclusiveness. And so what we're really trying to do is to remove the exclusiveness, the boundary the separation. And, the way some spiritual traditions would phrase that is discovering unity, oneness, non-duality.
1: Um, if you say that the, the boundaries are the problem, mm-hmm. is there not also something like good boundaries that you need? I mean, I know, probably everybody knows how it feels when mm-hmm. somebody oversteps those boundaries, even if they're just... Mm-hmm. Imagine, but you know, if somebody comes too close to me, in some respect, or yeah. middle of myself, yes. I feel like, oh, hey, this is where you end and where
0: I begin. That's right. That's, yes, that's right. The boundary, that's what I say. The, the function of the ego is to construct a useful boundary. You know, my socks, your socks. Right? That's a useful boundary. And when it gets out of control, it creates boundaries that are totally problematic. The thing is that boundaries, the boundaries aren't real. The boundaries are artificial constructs of your mind that are useful. It's when you start believing that they're real and become attached to them as being real. That's when they start being a problem.
4: So there's when I when I'm observing Ego, the ego, or how mm-hmm. it works. There's, it's like there's such a fine line between where the ego self, like you're you're embodying the ego, and maybe i um, being compassionate toward it and working from from a place where it's functioning well, where my behavior is in par with what maybe it should be. But it's like it's such a fine line where all of a sudden you know you're, it's really easy to be tricked and drawn. But there's like, feels like there's an impulse underneath where if I can step back and see, like where that sort of truth, or there, there's a sort of truth about the self, about the being
1: that's inside of me, mm. and I can ask and really like
4: go to a place where I can, I can see that line kind of drawn clearly. But it's it's so hard because you think, or I, I'm coming and trying to be compassionate toward the ego, but. It's so easy to be pulled. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's ten minutes later and you're like, wait, what did I say? That wasn't my intention, but I don't
0: know. You say compassion towards the ego.
4: Or towards the idea that the ego has a function, not the ego self. Mm -hmm. But being able to, to recognize that creating boundaries, that standing in the full potential of the of the being Mm. that we are, or of of the tool that it is, in Mm. in functioning.
0: Have you ever had, any of you ever had the experience, or um, because of your perception of your ego boundary, that uh, you said, or, or did something, Uh, and then later on in a slightly different emotional state of mind you uh, let go of that ego boundary and apologized and asked for forgiveness that ever happened to anybody in this (laughs) room? if it hadn't happened we wouldn't be married and I, I think I think you can say that about Every, every couple and every relationship, yeah. right? And that's one of the ways in which, you know, these relationships we have, whether it's an intimate relationship between a, a married couple, but in fact it includes every relationship you have with anybody, is that they are all opportunities to learn that that these, that these ego boundaries, they you don't have any reality of, them, of their own. And when they're causing harm rather than good, that's the time to let go of them.
4: So that's the, that's the key. Is if it's working, then it's okay. And when it yeah. seems to be causing problems, then you know there's a problem. That's right. And in terms of how we apply this Dharma, it's having the mindfulness
0: to recognize when it's not working. Because most of the problems that most people have is because they keep doing the same things over and over again without without coming to that realization that this isn't working and when you you come to the realization that it isn't working then you can let go of it and then you can change it so you have to have that mindfulness to recognize when things are not working and we don't usually do that most of the time something happens and we react and it turns out badly And instead of saying oh I didn't handle that well instead we make it somebody else's fault Mm -hmm. we justify it you know of course I reacted that way anybody would blah 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 you know or if we can't do that the other strategy is to totally distract ourselves so we don't think about it you know isolate ourselves from it but mindfulness means actually recognizing and saying oh wow you know, not not only did that not work, having a mindfulness to realize it's been not working for a long time. <laughs> it not only didn't work, it didn't work again. <laughs> yes? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, I just
2: um, I just wanted to take a second to give thanks. I um, in the past I would say six months have been through a very difficult time in my life, and I had fallen away from my practice, and my yoga, and my meditation, and you know, one day I woke up, and I just decided that I wasn't going to sit, and I wasn't going to, I was just going to be mindful. I was going to, you know, I was going to bring myself to the present, and to focus on gratitude, at least five times a day. Stop myself and say, you know, thank you for this moment, or this view, or this anything, and in the last six months, you know, my relationship has gotten better, and uh, I'm going back to school, and my entire life has turned around, I'm back at my practice, and you know, it's it was such a small thing, and sometimes all it takes is just such a small Decision to change your whole life. And I just, like I said, wanted to take a
0: moment to say thank you. That thank is you. wonderful. Thank you for telling us that. I, I'm so happy for you. That's really good. Mm-hmm. If we go back to what the very first thing that Chris brought up is things, you, you, you the world that you live in is the world that you project. You, it, a, a really Useful exercise to do, and, and it's during walking meditation is a wonderful opportunity to do that, is just see if you can be aware, you know, we say be in the present, but see if you can be aware of everything in the present at once. And you quickly discover it's absolutely impossible. You cannot. You, uh, you can't. Only just a tiny bit of it. And if you watch what your mind does, your mind selects what you pay attention to. So out of this huge panoply of possibilities, the mind selects certain things, and it depends on the mood you're in, right? The mood that you're in will determine which things that you select, and the, your mental state. Then, not only that's not just what you happened, what you happen to be conscious of, but what how, what interpretation that your mind puts on that. Right? And we, we know this from, you know, you examine every aspect of your experience. You find it over and over again. How your mind interprets it, what it decides, what your mind decides that this thing that you happen to notice means. And then uh, the other thing is the affective quality it has. You, you like it or you don't like it. You like it a whole lot or you hate it terribly or it's anywhere in between those and so these things are always continuously changing and shifting and what you described doing just reminding yourself several times a day to put this deliberately put yourself into a different mental state now I, I would guess that it caused you to notice things that you hadn't been noticing the moment before. To interpret those things differently than you would have uh, interpreted them without the thought of gratitude. Absolutely. And to experience a kind of, of pleasure and happiness from noticing and, and interpreting those things that you would have been denied previously. And this is what happens when somebody's depressed, when somebody's sad. When somebody's bitter and cynical uh, or anything else, their mind is selecting what what it what it makes note of and it's interpreting it with a strong bias. And then it's producing this huge negative feeling to go along with it. The same thing when you're in a state of joyful happiness or in a state of, of love. We've all had those times when we just we're just love everything and everybody and we're so glad to be alive and everything. You know, and it's totally different world. It's the realization that the world that you see and experience, it it's it comes from in here. It doesn't come from out there. It depends on the the slant you put on it. Go back to relationships. When your ego gets affronted, and your dear close partner says or do some, does something, now picture a kind of situation where you want things to be a particular way, and you've made them be that particular way, and then your partner's gone and changed it. Right? Can you relate to that? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it. You notice that thing, and um, how do you interpret it? Um, very often, you project certain motivations into the person that don't actually exist at all. You know, they did it deliberately despite me. <laughs> they did it because I knew I didn't want it that way. Blah, 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 or something like that, right? And, and in that way, something that's really rather trivial suddenly shifted into a whole thing about this, this person is egotistically assaulting my ego. And then all of the stuff that comes out of that. But it's all an illusion. It's all a story that's made up. And it's a story It has, it's, it's a nasty story. It doesn't have a happy ending. I mean, if you're lucky, you get to the place where you see it differently, and maybe you get to understand the real motivations for whatever was done or changed, and then it has a happy ending.
1: While you are still caught in that story, whatever story you're telling, there, it's, it's really hard to catch that moment where you say, wait... This might not be the way this is. I have a reflex that pretty much anyone can provoke. That if you ask me a question, the last thing I imagine is that you're
0: soliciting information. (laughs) Oh, yes. You're one of those. (laughs) Yeah. I, I know. It's really hard to say,
1: wait, a question is just a question? There's no deep philosophical implications upon my inadequacy, you know, that's hard. So, it's, you know, pretty predictable when you have a, a partner who comes in and says, did you, question is asked, the first thing I do is crawl up on the chandelier and then say, wait, he may have really been wanting to know that answer.
0: <laughs> he might have just wanted to know the answer. Yeah. <laughs> no and judgment implied.
1: And that's... So what do you do when your ego is so sure of your inadequacies that you can't even see that you're you're blowing it? You, 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 it, it mm. I... It isn't so bad that I blew it once or twice. Mm-hmm. It's been down the road this many decades and still doing it. That's
0: well, what you do. I mean, sooner or later you realize what happened in that particular incident, hopefully. That, that's really, that's, that's your opportunity. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm still watching it. Well... That's a lot of questions. What, what can what can happen is that you take every question that's asked as as being a message and a judgment, mm-hmm. and reacting to it and becoming defensive, and then you never you never admit that uh, that you're responsible for this, and then eventually um, that relationship falls apart. It's over with and done. And then you meet somebody else and then you start reacting the same way every time they ask a question. Yeah, yeah. 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 That a lot of people go through life that way. Yeah. Now, say that you've been coming on Thursday nights and you're starting to get a bit wiser and learn and you have a few tools. Yeah. Okay, that doesn't mean you're not going to react the same old way. I mean, after all, you've been doing this for many, many years. How many hundreds, thousands of repetitions? Okay. So you're not going to expect that just because now you've learned a little bit it's going to be different next time because it's not. But you don't have to do what you did all of those other times which is to deny it, avoid it, rationalize it. Really, what I'm encouraging you to do is be there totally with it. And if you if you are, you know, then you come to the point. I mean, you've already come to the point, but it hasn't. But in in the past, when you came to that point, you immediately ran and hid from it. But you come to the point of realizing that that I really screwed up, and it was my fault, and uh, it it made me feel bad, made the other person feel bad, and. The problem really is, is with me, and I would like to change it. Okay. Then you say to yourself, Oh, but how do I change it? Okay? It's, it's by wanting to, and clearly saying, it's by clearly confronting, facing the problem. It's by saying, okay, the, that, that, that question was not a judgment, it was just a question.
1: You have to catch yourself responding.
0: Okay. If you catch yourself after the fact, and you do that consistently a few times, you'll start to catch yourself when it's happening. And eventually you'll get to a place where you can catch yourself before you develop that whole full-blown reaction. Or
2: you could try to just answer every question as if it's just a question and then wait to see what follows. If they say, "Did you do the dishes?" and you say no, and they say, "Okay," and walk away, then you know it was just a question. <laughs> and if they say, "Well, why not? No. What were you doing?" Well, exactly. then you know it wasn't just
0: a question. <laughs> if, if, if you can, if you can just get to the point of, even even though at a gut level you're sure there's a judgment in there, you don't respond. You just say, "No, I, you're right. I didn't," <laughs> and then wait and see what happens. That, that's when some real learning takes place.
1: That would be... That would be... Um, that would be a visceral shock for me to get that far that fast.
0: Did I say fast? <laughs> now,
2: I'm the same as you in, in a lot of ways, so I can understand that. Yeah. We, him and I go through that a lot. Yeah. He'll say something to me, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll react um, <clears throat> in a way that he doesn't understand, and it's because I think he means... Mm-hmm. I think he's implying something that's not there. Right. It'll be, did you empty the dishwasher? Yeah. And I think he's saying, you know, you know, you what, what, what did you do all day? You you know, were you... I mean, like,
0: exactly. And yeah.
2: he really just wanted to know, should I go empty the dishwasher, or did yeah. you empty
0: <laughs> the and, and if you look more deeply, who, who is it that was really being judgmental? There's probably some part of saying you saying, yeah, you really screwed around <laughs> <Right>. all day. <laughs> right, I was too lazy to do it, and I... And and there's just amazing, wonderful power in it. These are tools. They apply the tools. And meditation practice is a way of of learning to do that in a powerful and effective way. You you sit down to meditate and you start having reactions. Oh no, my practice is not going the way it should. I'm not any good at this. Blah, blah, blah. You know, all that other stuff. It's the same thing. And and if you if you learn to understand that in meditation and to deal with proprio they you know uh, it's going to carry over into your life. It's going to be much easier in all these other situations.
3: Okay. Yeah. well you know I mean I, I guess what I'm going back to your first question about how how things coming together yeah. and I guess my question is, um, to how far can you go in doing certain things. I mean, for example, okay, and, and research has shown, and also generosity, okay, if you give away things, you're going to feel better than you don't, than if, than if you don't. Let's just say, I mean, they give people money is said so you spend it on yourself or you spend it on somebody else, but people who spend it on on other, other people feel better. Okay, so the question becomes: Well, why doesn't why don't we do it all the time then? You know, mm-hmm. if it makes you feel better, so why don't you? One reason could be is that the society doesn't teach you how to be happy about something like that. So you might have to, you know, raise your own awareness that you know this is actually something I should feel good about. You know, you can really practice that. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question becomes now: Well, I guess mean, maybe there are practical issues. <laughs> 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 well, maybe I shouldn't should be giving away
0: everything. You could be. Yes. Right. But, you know, uh, if you decided to give away everything because you should, and it's a good thing to do, you'd probably feel miserable, really. <laughs> <saying that>. um, <laughs> well, right. yeah. No. But the thing is, that you, all of this does come together. And you have to... The. the the metaphor that I like to use for this is you know, it's like getting rid of a, a thorn bush, a cat claw. Everybody know what cat claw mosquitoes is? Mm-hmm. It grows really fast, has these wicked thorns, and you can cut it right down to the ground, and a few months later it's back. It's like again. Later, so. you, 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 you cut a branch off, and you come back a, a couple of weeks later, and there's two branches in its place, right? And, what you're doing with all of these different practices is you know eventually you want to uproot the the catcock bush you got to start off by you've got to cut, cut enough branches uh just to get in close you know and that's what these practice the practice of generosity in your daily life and things like that practice uh, all of the the practices of virtue are ways of just trimming enough branches to, uh, to get close enough to go after the actual stalks and eventually the root itself yeah. and if you, if you misunderstand what it's about then it's not going to work because uh, you can't you can't just eventually get tired of cutting off branches because they they grow back faster than you you know, you've got to go to the next step. And so these, the things that you practice in your daily life have to be supported by a deepening meditation practice, which takes you first, first to the trunks from which the branches grow, and then ultimately from the root from which new trunks will grow, even if you cut it off at the level of the ground. Then, then,
3: then I would ask you, then, you know, maybe I should quit my job and meditate all day well and and I have the option of
0: that. if you have the option of doing that then that would that would be I, I'd say to you that's a very very wonderful thing to do and you should seriously consider it but you have to be you have to be ready you have to be at a place where you have, you have to have a level of understanding if you do it because you it's a you, you get kind of swept away and it's an emotional reaction and you know and I'm going to give away everything I have and meditate the rest of my life where are you going to end up? most likely you're going to end up disappointed, unhappy and uh, you know because you're doing it for the wrong reason it wasn't coming from a place of understanding and, and proper motivation but if you have that option, boy, I, I, I'd love to help you in any way I can to, to get to the place where where you do what's necessary. Yeah, well, the thing
3: is, when you every, like everybody here, have, well, I maybe mean, everybody here has a full time job, and so when you have a full time job, you know you really you I mean you, you have to do it. It's your responsibility. Yeah, that's true. Right. So, so you know you need and you know you have to yeah. think where you're going to find time do all the meditation, yeah. and then you think well you're then. You
0: yeah. Well, my message to you is you don't have to quit your job and you don't have to meditate full-time. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, in many ways, it might be best that you don't. Um, if you have a lot of resources and talents to throw them all away and meditate full-time and then you become free of all these things, but now you no longer have those resources available to help anybody else, it's not necessarily the, the best Way to go. It's not necessary. Yeah. That's This is something, you know, there has been a class within Buddhist society who has done that. And they're supported by all the parts of Buddhist society that don't do that. And it's been kind of to their advantage to convey, if not outright teach, that, well, this is the only way that you can Truly become awakened and uh, so therefore support us and, and, and we'll do it on your behalf and i'm saying that's not true i'm denying that that you can all you can all do this work and you can succeed in this work what you're what you're going to have you you know the idea of becoming An upasaka, a dedicated lay practitioner, is not that you quit your job and you abandon your family. But it's that you make your spiritual practice your number one priority so that your job supports your spiritual practice. And you might change your job. And your relationships with your family become part of your spiritual practice. Not that you abandon them, but they, they are the material that you work with. In your practice, and and that's a very powerful path. And, yeah, I think that's enough. Talked enough. I got ten minutes over time. Oh,
2: okay.
0: yeah. But this conversation, you might like to continue uh, this conversation next week with Blake. And definitely, I'll be happy to uh, to. Uh, Look more deeply into these things with you. Uh, on the it is fourteen days from now it is December twenty sixth, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I'll, I'll, uh, for the, for those of you who have had enough eggnog and everything else by then, you can come on the twenty sixth, and we'll go into this. We'll continue this exploration. Thank you.